All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got an awesome Friday morning show here for you, including the breaking news at this hour, those major travel restrictions just announced by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Flights to Mexico and the Caribbean canceled. Mandatory quarantines in a hotel for travelers returning to Canada. Travelers will be required to pay for that. Over $2,000. International flights restricted to just four airports in Canada, including YVR. At the land border with the United States, Trudeau said travelers will soon be required to produce a negative COVID test to drive across the border. That was previously just for air travel. These are huge new restrictions here on national travel in Canada. We've got all of that covered for you, full coverage and analysis. Have a listen to this here. Here's Trudeau just a few moments ago uh, talking about uh, no more travel to those sun destinations. The government and Canada's main airlines have agreed to suspend service to sun destinations right away. Air Canada, WestJet, Sunwing, and Air Transat are canceling air service to all Caribbean destinations and Mexico starting this Sunday up until April 30th. They will be making arrangements with their customers who are currently on a trip in these regions to organize their return flights. Okay, kicking in that uh, this Sunday, those new restrictions. Wow, these are some major travel restrictions just announced by the federal government. We've got uh, BC Health Minister Adrian Dix on the line. He's agreed to take calls from listeners. I'm going to open the phone lines right now. If you have questions about BC's vaccine plan, now's your opportunity to talk to the health minister. So I'm going to open the phone lines right now. We'll start taking your calls, 604 280 is the number, 604 604- Two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight star ninety eight ninety eight to speak to Health Minister Adrian Dixie joins me now. Minister, thanks for coming on. Hey, great to be on the show, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. And just as we get some calls lined up here, can I get your your quick reaction and thoughts to the travel restrictions just announced by the Prime Minister? Well, they seem to be the right decisions uh, at this time. As you know, this is a crucial crucial moment in the COVID nineteen pandemic. There is some vaccine, but Uh, There isn't going to be a lot of vaccine uh, until March 31st, only 10% of people immunized. And there are significant risks on the horizon. We're dealing in Canada with the UK and the South African variants in small amounts, but still there. And that's a concern. So uh, I agree that steps have to be taken. You'll remember uh, last spring, um, the British Columbia took its own action first because of our concern on this very issue. And one of the things we've seen in the contact tracing around these variants is the absolute need for the federal government to step up um, its, uh, the, on the quarantine period. And they have today, and uh, that's something we've been asking for, so um, good for them. Okay, major travel restrictions here announced by the Prime Minister. We'll have full coverage and analysis on that. Let's talk a little bit about the vaccine plan in British Columbia. And, of course, we've seen the very troubling disruptions in the vaccine supply uh, from Pfizer, also Moderna disrupted to some degree. How is this going to affect British Columbia right now and our own plans here? It affects uh, principally phase one, uh, the phase we're in now, uh, and the amount we're going to get through to March 31st. There's no indication that the major plan for the general population, which is basically starting in April, is going to be affected yet, and so that's good. Um, and uh, But it affects our ability to reach out in phase one and delays uh, uh, when we have less vaccine, we can immunize fewer people. It just goes without saying. That said, Mike, I think there's one thing that's really important to remember in long-term care, 
We've now immunized, I believe, every care home in the province. We've had clinics at every care home in the province. There's very little vaccine hesitancy, and there hasn't been in this process, that you can already see it in the results there. And this tells us that once we get the vaccine, it can be effective, I think. We had 49 outbreaks uh, two weeks ago today. Uh, we have uh, 27 outbreaks in total in long-term care assisted living and independent living. So there is some good news in the sense that the the more than 100,000 people who have been immunized have been targeted on the most vulnerable, and that's having an effect. We'd like to do more. Like every time, every day anyone tells us we have 10 less doses of the vaccine, that's not good news. Right. And every day we have right. more is more. But we gotta, we've got to go with what we have right now and immunize the most vulnerable, and that's what we're doing. And the good news is the vaccine has been quite effective, particularly with the elderly, right. it appears, all around the world, and that's good news. Okay, phone lines are open to B.C. Health Minister Adrian Dixie if you have questions about B.C.'s vaccine plan. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Let's go to some calls now. Gus on the line in Tawasson. Hi, Gus. Hi. Hi, go ahead. Um, yeah, my question is, um, you know, there's a number of students that live across the border, uh, specifically in Point Roberts, who cross the border to go to Canadian schools. Um, how do the new uh, restrictions affect those children and the parents that drive them across the border? Okay, do we know at this point, Minister? Uh, I don't think we know with respect to that question. Uh, the Prime Minister just made the detailed announcement at 8.30, and we've seen the, the details, but what... Um, what I'll, what I'll commit to do for Gus and for your listeners is to get you a response once we, because we're obviously meeting with the federal government today on these questions, to get a response uh, to him and to you as soon as we have one. Well, I can tell him that the Prime Minister just announced that what the government plans to bring in here is a requirement for a negative COVID test to drive across the border. Right now, that's not coming in immediately, but that's the restriction we have right now for air travel. The prime minister here just in the last few minutes saying that will be expanded. A negative COVID test will be required to drive across the border at some point here very soon. Let's go to Kevin on the line in Vancouver. Hey, Kevin. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Uh, first sure. off, I wanted to say thank you so much for doing what, uh, what you guys are doing. This is, uh, this is great to have this on the air. Um, my question is, um, has there been any consideration to changing the, the messaging for... Uh, for the public in terms of vaccine uptake um, and, and basically stressing that uh, this is horrific on our healthcare workers right now, what they're having to handle. And uh, because there is a pocket of our society that is resistant to vaccines and um, they, they seem to be thinking more about themselves. And I'm right. wondering whether or not uh, Mr. Dix has considered uh, basically bringing the, the healthcare workers uh, struggle into the, the, the public mind a little more. Minister. Uh, I think it's an excellent point. I mean, we try and do that, and this is a good opportunity to do it again. I want to thank Kevin for the question. Uh, our healthcare workers have been working, dealing with this. It's been 365 days since the first case. They've been working uh, collectively those 365 days, and it's hard. So I think it's important that everyone remember this, that when it comes to time to be immunized, you're not only making yourself safe, but every person immunized makes everyone else safer. And so it's very important that uh, people take advantage of this. The good news about the vaccine, and we've seen it in long-term care, is that there's been relatively little vaccine hesitancy. I've never, we've never seen anything like this in terms of a response to an immunization campaign. That's not surprising with healthcare workers because they've been dealing with the effects of COVID-19, especially in long-term care, but it's also good news. So right. absolutely, I think uh, we haven't been banging the pots as much at 7 p.m., but it hasn't changed the contribution people have made and healthcare workers have made, and everyone's gotta be part of that. And I think everyone has, you know, uh, Mike, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reaction when we ask people to do more. 
I think yeah. there's a lot of people listening to us right now, Mike, who've been doing more than what we've asked for a long time, right? They, sure. they haven't just followed their, the, the rules that have been set out and the things. They've done more than that. And so um, I understand that and respect that. And that's not who we're talking to when we ask people to do more. We're talking to people um, who, uh, who, who are just uh, who are struggling and following uh, those rules and saying, for this little period longer, uh, this year, we've got to deal with this. Right. And then hopefully uh, we can open things up uh, once everyone's immunized. All right. Welcome back. BC Health Minister Adrian Dix taking your call. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Right back to your calls. James and Burnaby. Hi. Hi, I've just got a question for Adrian Dix. Um, when Trudeau says that all the vaccines will be out for anyone who wants one by September, is that just for Pfizer and Moderna, or when the other vaccines get approved, is that time going to be reduced? Thank you. Minister. A great question, James. The answer is that it might be, and we're hoping, obviously, to get access to uh, AstraZeneca when that's approved, to, to Johnson & Johnson or Janssen when that is approved, and uh, that might improve the situation. And what we've said in our plan is that those vaccines, which are more easily moved around the province and could look like more like a flu immunization campaign, we'll look at those for, for member, people in essential worker categories. But the reason they're not included in the plan right now is they haven't yet been approved. And we don't add things to a plan until they've been approved, until we know yeah. what's coming. Nothing from AstraZeneca is going to come in this quarter. So nothing's going to come before March 31st, we're told. And uh, we're planning on that basis. But you're right, it could, it, that time could be shortened if the expected doses from Pfizer and Moderna come, as, as has been committed to, and if uh, AstraZeneca and Janssen are approved. Let's go to Jen on the line, calling it from Surrey. Hi, Jen. Hey, um, Adrian, I'm, I'm phoning as a follow-up question to something I've actually asked you in the past, and I, I felt like your issue, you kind of skirted it, the issue, I, you skirted it a little bit in terms of answering. Um, I'm a teacher, and masks are still not mandatory in schools, and I know you relied with your answer the last time on the cohorts, but the cohorts are simply for tracing. Like, kids are in and out of cohorts, POCs are coming in and out, and I'm just curious, with all of these restrictions in every aspect of life why are masks not mandatory like a direct okay. answer minister uh, they're not uh, they're not mandatory because we we're following on these questions the advice of our public health leadership and the conclusion is especially for young people in classrooms at their desks that uh, that masks are not a requirement under those circumstances. And so that's very important. They are required in many places outside, sort of, in hallways, just as people working in their offices in, at their desks aren't required when they're at their desks to have uh, masks on under COVID safety plans. So that's the reason that uh, we think um, it's a, a challenge uh, for children in elementary grades in particular uh, to wear masks all day and to wear them properly because often a mask can cause more problems if you're not wearing it properly or you're always adjusting it and so on. So uh, that's the reason uh, that that continues to be the case. We still have, uh, and every school has a COVID safety plan, every district does. And I know, uh, I think, yeah, and I, I want to just be very clear, those are the reasons, and that's the reason that that hasn't changed. But that doesn't change the fact 
that we want to encourage people to uh, to wear masks, and that in indoor okay. public spaces, uh, they, it's mandatory now in BC in indoor right. public spaces, but not in all workplaces, not at your desk in your workplace, and not if you're a student at your desk in a school. But right. I, I appreciate that many people disagree with that, Jen, and right. we've had this discussion, but that's the answer. Let's go to Alan on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Alan. Hi, good morning. My question is for Minister Dix. Have you given any thought or consideration to using the empty casinos throughout the province as mass vaccination centers for inoculation of uh, us? Minister? So so the the answer is we're going to have 172, (coughs) excuse me, community clinics across BC. They're going to be in all kinds of places, uh, uh, community centers and, uh, and hockey rinks. They're going to be in um, convention centers and other places, all large spaces. So certainly um, casinos would be a consideration. But I would say, I would say this, Al, that I, I don't think, I think we're going to be able to find the spaces working with business and municipalities, and casinos right. could be one of them, uh, to hold the vaccination clinics. The key, of course, challenges our staff and ensuring that people get there and and do it efficiently. And what we're doing now is planning these clinics out and working with everyone. We're hoping that lots of people get involved, that we have volunteers to help people get to vaccination centers safely and so on. So there's going to be a, this is going to be a big rollout. Absolutely. We'll consider casinos and other sites uh, to ensure that people are safe because any site that's a big site that allows a lot of space and allows people to move through in a safe and quick way is a good site. So, but you're going to be seeing probably more municipal halls and hockey arenas than casinos, but it wouldn't rule out casinos either. Let's go to Vesna on the line in Burnaby. Hi. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a concern. My parents are 95, 97, uh, living in their own home, but Fraser Health care workers come four times a day. Uh, mm. So during the week, we have over a dozen care workers coming, and they are not uh, uh, getting their vaccines yet. Um, some of them work in long-term care, and some of them work in the community as well. So I'm wondering um, why they're not considered frontline. Okay, we just got two minutes left here, Minister. They are, and uh, they're going to be uh, immunized in phase one. This is a matter of uh, the amount of vaccine we have. The first priority was to secure long-term care, to secure acute care and other vulnerable communities, and that's what we're doing. But they're in the first st- phase in both ways. Uh, your parents are in the first phase because they're over 80, and uh, home, home support workers are in the first phase because they're frontline workers. So we're hoping that that happens soon. There's a n- number of other people in this category, community physicians and others who do lots of important work. Again, those are in the first phase and why we're obviously concerned when um, shipments of vaccine are deferred or delayed. We just have one minute left here. Julie, you got to go quick. Go ahead. Yes, I just have a question with regards to the travel uh, flight cancellations. Will that include Hawaii? And my second question is, um, if a teacher is going up to Whistler skiing for the weekend where there's currently a, a bad situation, are they allowed back in the school on Monday? And are their children allowed back in their respective classrooms on Monday? Okay, well, we'll check on the Hawaii question for you. That's a federal matter. we got the provincial minister here. But, Minister, do you want to comment on the Whistler trips? So, 30, so for, 30 seconds all, left. First of all, on the international travel, the United States is going to be taking measures soon. So I'd say stay tuned on the question of the United States destination. It's only, as we understand, Mexico and the Caribbean right now. In the case of um, people going to Whistler, my recommendation is don't go. 
and uh, and ski if you want to ski on on uh, more local mountains, but don't go. That's my recommendation. There isn't those restrictions in place that you talk about, but what we're encouraging people to do is not do non-essential travel okay. right now. Minister, thank you for taking the time. Grateful to you for hey. that. Anytime, Mike. Take care. Eh? All, right. All right. Welcome back. Let's keep talking about the pandemic now and the government's response to it. Major travel restrictions just announced by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, including flights to Mexico and the Caribbean canceled. New testing and mandatory quarantine rules in a hotel for international travelers to Canada. New rules coming to the land border with the United States, too. There's a major news breaking here in the last hour, all in response to the latest wave of the virus, including contagious new variants of COVID-19. Make sure you keep it locked here for the rest of the show as we bring a coverage and analysis of these new travel restrictions just announced by the Prime Minister. You know what else is coming, though, right? The government is going to just continue to spend billions and billions of dollars here in response to the pandemic. Now, just think about how much money has been blown out the door here uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. We've been into this thing for a year now. If you look back at some of the programs that the Trudeau government brought in, a lot of that money, did it go to people who really didn't need it in some cases? A lot of those relief programs launched by the Trudeau government were not means-tested, very generous eligibility rules. Some critics say that people who are not really needed the assistance got a lot of money. Check this out now. More than $636 million in CERB payments went to teenagers. 300,000 teenagers aged 15 to 17 years old got $636 million in CERB payments. Is this the right way to spend money during this pandemic? Let's check in with my guest now, Diane Francis, National Post, editor-at-large. I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Diane, thanks a lot for coming on. No problem. Diane, you've written a lot about these uh, CERB benefits and COVID programs that the government has brought out. It's probably no surprise to you to see some of these numbers and $636 going to teenagers and CERB payments. What do you think? Well, the Fraser Institute did a terrific report uh, a few months ago, and I wrote a couple of columns about it. And, you know, this is exactly, I mean, this is just quantifying, uh, you know, accurately, specifically quantifying uh, the the outflow. But, you know, yeah. what they pointed out there was that people uh, who were dependents of other people that, that had means shouldn't get a dime. And yet all these teenagers were given uh, given all this money, and then and young adults too, you know, if you're living at home with your parents, you don't need money from the other, the rest of the Canadians. Uh, you know, you just take care of your own. It was just they just blew the money out the doors. Vote yeah. buying, it's just obscene vote buying, and the same with senior citizens. I mean, they gave a, a an increase, a bump up, I think, a bonus to people on uh, on uh, pensions. Uh, including people that that don't need it. Yeah. So, you know, was the young, the old, I mean, they just blew the money out the door to buy votes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, very, hard, it's very heartening for me to hear, though, however, that, that Trudeau is finally falling in the polls. I mean, the guy is a joke. 
Okay, well, you know, I've heard of politicians shoveling money off the back of the truck. I mean, it, this is more like a leaf blower with the money that's been blowing out, out the door here. You t- talk about one million young people aged between 15 to 24, for example, got this CERB while they're still living at home with their parents. So you're talking about teenagers living at home with their mom and dad, getting 2000 bucks a month in CERB payments. Does this make any sense to you? No, it doesn't make any sense. And that's what the Fraser Institute study pointed out in my columns. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know anecdotally, I mean, I know there were teenagers with uh, took their CERB checks up to Muskoka and rented a Airbnb fabulous cottage and spent the summer up there having a whale of a time. I mean, they've never lived so well. I mean, this is just, yeah. this is just horrifying to me. What about, what about spouses? Like, this is interesting to sort of drill down on the CERB payments that went to the spouses of, uh, you know, partners. They may have partners earning high incomes. So you had 480,000 spouses who earned less than they qualified for the CERB, even though they're, they came from a total family incomes of $100,000 or more. So you may have a situation where one spouse it, it qualifies for the CERB while the other spouse is just raking in uh, huge salaries. Yeah, that was in the first report, too. Yeah. I wrote about it. I mean, this is just, you know, it's just a repetition. It's a quantification of what they wrote about. They did a, an analysis that pointed to this stuff. And, you know, they did a terrific job. And I, I don't know who's come up with these figures now. But, yeah, again, no means testing. So older people... Right all got a big bump up for no reason, even if they were fine and comfortable. Younger people got a big bump up for no reason. And everybody who got, you know, money, spouses and so on, um, got a big bump up without any means test for no reason. So, you know, it's just been a big liberal finance party. Okay, my guest is Diane Francis from the National Post. What would you say to people who say, well, okay, yeah, they're blowing money out the door, but they're doing it to keep the economy afloat and get us through this crisis? So you put 2000 bucks a month into, into the pockets of uh, some teenager. Isn't that teenager maybe going, yeah, maybe they're going out and spending it on Doritos and video games or whatever, but is, is that not good for keeping the economy going if they're spending money here at home? No, no, that's it's not. It's an issue of fairness. Look, I am not the kind of person who says everybody suck it up. I absolutely agree with, uh, you know, governments uh, stimulating and, and helping prop up people that need it. But this is putting on the tab for you and their grandparents this money with interest payments owed. That's right, what they're doing. Right. They're borrowing from the future. This is not good for the economy. Look at the size of it. I mean, the overhang on our currency and our economy is just horrific. Now, the only decent thing is that the CERB payments have to be, will be taxed. Mm. So if they make any other income that gets them up to the minimum amount of money where you get taxable, you know, there'll be some clawback. But don't count on it. Don't count on people filing tax returns, and don't count on people not taking cash payments under the table. Diane, let me ask you about Canada's performance on the vaccine file. We take a look at the uh, Canada very troubling news about the disruption in the supply of vaccine uh, to our country. You take a look at the list where Canada is right now, uh, ranked behind other countries and in, in getting this vaccine into the arms of Canadians. We're ranked number 20 in the world right now on the number of shots uh, administered per capita. We're behind the United States. We're behind the United Kingdom. But then you just go down the list. Bahrain, Denmark, Germany, Israel, Italy, Malta, Portugal, Romania, Slovenia. All these countries have done a better job than Canada in getting the vaccine into people. Your thoughts? Well, again, it's something I've written a lot about. 
uh, we have a prime minister with no judgment. Um, he apparently made a deal with Chinese with a Chinese company and uh, and our research uh, national research council. We gave them um, the code, or if you like, the intellectual property, the cell line they call it to create a vaccine against COVID because we had very good research on this. We apparently, it looks like we've given it away for nothing to a rogue nation that is our sworn enemy. And why would anybody with a bad reputation for making lousy vaccines? So why would we have a leader? And this is why we don't have vaccines who, who counted on a deal with a sworn enemy and a lousy track record for vaccines, gave away our intellectual property in doing so, and then was told he couldn't get the vaccines until he right. released the, the, the Weiwei woman or whatever happened. I don't know. I haven't been, that's a rumor in the pharmaceutical and scientific community. So it was a stupid thing to do in the first place. It was crazy. Why would you do well, that to me? You go to Pfizer and you you sign up for as much as you can. This is well, what didn't they do is. that? Didn't they do that though? I mean, if you take if you listen to Trudeau, he will pat himself on the back and, and until he gets repetitive strain injury. Talking about the the deals that they did sign with Pfizer and with Moderna, and you'll say we've got the the most contracts with the most drug companies to get the most vaccine of other countries in the world. Now there yeah, has so been where's, a, where's the where's the Mac vaccine? Look, the point is, he relied on the, the Chinese to do it, and then he delayed signing and getting in motion the other ones. He put them down. He put them away. And then when the Chinese thing fell apart in the summer, mm. then he was playing catch-up. And so the result is, we don't have vaccines. Yeah, but they've got the deals. Is it really Trudeau's fault, though, if Moderna has to retool its, its factory in Belgium, and that's the problem? How is that Trudeau's Trudeau's fault? fault, It was Trudeau's fault to sign a deal with China that fell apart and was a bad deal. And that meant he delayed it with the real good Western pharmaceutical countries that he should have been signed up with first and only. And we would be now, we would probably have half our population vaccinated. No, no, no. This is a complete mess up by Ottawa. Complete. Okay, we're following it very closely. Diane, thanks a lot for coming on to talk about it today. You're welcome. Take care. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about movies that freaked you out when you were a kid. I think most people have got that one movie maybe stuck in their minds when they saw it when they were children. They never forgot it. It traumatized them. Jaws, you remember that one? Oh, man, how many people that freak out? When they saw Jaws when they were younger, that's one of the ones that's near the top of the list for anybody. If you ask, what movie traumatized you when you were a kid? We're going to talk about that now and get set to call me on this because I really want to hear your stories and your thoughts on it. My guest is Steve Stebbing, movie connoisseur and critic. You can find him on Twitter at the Steve Old Dead, stevestebbing.ca. Very pleased to welcome him back. Hi, Steve. Hey, Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Okay, this is one of these great questions, because everyone's got a movie like this, I think. What movie freaked you out when you were a kid? I know you got one, right? Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, I mean, for me, it would be uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, which is something I probably shouldn't have watched, but uh, (laughs) it was like uh, an aunt uh, had the VHS, and all the adults were partying upstairs, and I was going through a movie collection, and I was like, "Eh, I'm going to watch this one. It looks cool. I like Kurt Russell. I was a big uh, Big Trouble in Little China fan. So I was like, hey, I like him. So same director, same actor. Let's watch this. And then it gets to the blood test scene. And uh, I mean, it's something that I will never forget. Uh, but 
I feel like it's like uh, trial by fire because now horror is like my favorite genre. So <laughs> it shaped the adult I became, I guess you could say. My Okay, let's have a little listen to a part of the trailer here. The Thing from 1982. Let's have a listen. See, what we're talking about here is an organism that imitates other life forms. When this thing attacked our dogs, it tried to digest them, absorb them. How long were you alone with that dog? There's something wrong with Blair. He could be one of those things! I don't know who to trust. <laughs> okay, how old were you when you saw that movie, Steve? Uh, I was probably eight or nine years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Probably not the best, but I did learn a very important lesson in watching it, and it's always listen to Wilford Brimley. Always. <laughs> okay, here's mine. When I was a kid, I was around the same age, eight or nine years old, and I'll never forget, we went to a matinee, me and a couple of my buddies, we went to a matinee theater near my home. I, pr I can't remember if I told my parents I was going to see this movie or not, but it absolutely freaked me out. I was traumatized when I saw it at a matinee movie when I was like eight or nine years old. It was Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Have a listen to this. We are determined to know what the apes want, war or peace. The superintelligent mutant. Are they human or something else? In their church, an unspeakable God. Doomsday bomb. Behind their faces, an unbearable secret. We don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other. Okay, that was like the second <laughs> movie in the Planet of the Apes franchise. And it was just so bizarre. That was the one, Steve. I'm sure you've seen it, where they go under, they go underground into the New York subway system, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And there's those mutant, there's those mutant humans down there that were worshiping like an atomic bomb. And and at one point they they take their mask off and they've got all this sort of mutant radiation poisoning all over their bodies. Oh my god! Like this, I saw this when I was eight or nine years old, and I was absolutely traumatized for days over that. And I still think about it. Yeah, I think it comes down to effects are are what really push push the like what your mind seeing because uh, I mean uh, in in both films that we've brought up, it's the other realness of what we're seeing on screen, and of course at that young of age we haven't been exposed to really anything at that point, so it's really. Uh, yeah, it's, oh, that's man. where the trauma comes through. <laughs> I remember I could not sleep for days after that. Uh, let's check in with producer Tim French here because I know he's got one he wants to share. Tim, how about you? Yeah, so just a heads up, this movie still kind of terrifies me now, and I had to grab audio of it, so like I'm a little, I'm a little shaken up. But here's a piece of um, the most famous line from this movie. E T. Oh, <laughs> I hate this movie so much because no E.T. scares me. What? Yeah. Uh, isn't this supposed to be a beautiful, heartwarming movie? No, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Okay. What My wife would agree. <laughs> what terrified you about it, Tim? It was just E.T. was so gross looking and just like everything else yeah. of the movie was wonderful. Like it's good storytelling, but like just seeing E.T., he was so short and it's just so gross. <laughs> I couldn't watch it. I still get the occasional nightmare about it. Okay. Well, then he dried up and looked all white, like an old dog poo. Yeah, that was the worst. That was absolutely the worst. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, maybe it was kind of creepy now that I think about it. Another one that I remember when I was a real small kid watching it on TV was the, there was the flying monkeys in, in The Wizard of mm. Oz. <laughs> Those really scared me, I remember, when I was really small.
All right, welcome back as we continue talking about what movie freaked you out and traumatized you as a kid. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Steve Stebbing is my guest. Lots of calls. Let's go right to them. Sean and Langley. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Good, good. Yeah, so I would say I would say that the, I was a little kid. It's one of my earliest memories. I'm seven or eight years old, and uh, I, I stay over my cousins. My aunt let us stay up late, and... Uh, and we made we stumbled across The Exorcist oh, no. uh, on late night TV, and I still can't watch horror movies. I haven't watched one since. Oh man, that was that was rated R, I believe, right, Steve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of a common thread with a lot of people. Uh, is Linda Blair? Linda Blair freaks people out. Yeah, no, she she did, she did a great job in that movie and freaking people out. That's for sure. Andre and Burnaby. Hi, Andre. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, my uh, I actually have two, but my my first one is uh, Nightmares on Elm Street, the original one. Oh yeah, the uh, especially when they have the introduction to the movie of uh, one, two, Freddy's out to get you, three, four, it just freaked me out totally. Okay, Steve, you know you're a horror, you're a horror connoisseur. Where do you rank yes. that one? Well, I mean, that's got to be near the top because uh, I mean, you're supposed to be safe when you're sleeping, when you're in your dreams, right? But that's where Freddy gets you, so you can't go to sleep. So it's such a it's such a common weakness uh, that, yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely freaky. Okay, let's go to um, next caller is Brian in Cloverdale. Hey, Brian. Hi, guys. Hi. Mine was the original hey. haunting. Ah. When that <laughs> booming came down the hall and that door bent, that absolutely terrified me. And then the other bit in that movie was when the eyes were looking through the carvings on the wall. Oh boy! Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Steve, where do you where do you rank that one? Uh, I mean, it's a Shirley Jackson classic. I mean, it's a book that's been adapted many times. It was adapted in '99, and then of course the Netflix for The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, and it's iconic stuff. It's iconic uh, haunted mansion stuff. And we're not talking like the creepy house in the corner. We're talking like a massive estate. Uh, full of secrets and spirits, and yeah, it's unsettling for sure. <laughs> okay, keep calling me on this. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 in your cell. Jim in Surrey. Hi, Jim. Hi, hi uh, my, my dog's quit barking. But anyhow, mine, <laughs> okay. has to be, mine, mine has to be the exorcist. My brother yeah. signed for me to get into that restricted movie. I think it was a matinee, <laughs> but I tell you, after that, I looked under my bed for 15 years after seeing that movie. <laughs> Okay, Jim. Thank you for that one. I didn't see that one when I was a kid. I saw it later when I was when I was adult, and I, it didn't scare me to go back and and watch it again because I I thought it's kind of a a classic. But if I had seen that one when I was younger, it may have had a different effect on me. Rosa in Port Moody. Hi. Hi. Hi, hi Mike. Hi, Steve. Hi. Um, this one is Candyman. My movie is Candyman, which they're remaking. It's mm-hmm. coming out this year sometime, just like every other movie. But um, it's, I don't know, if Steve, you know about it, but oh, yeah. it's from yeah, 1992 about a, yeah. the guy, you say his name five times in the mirror and he shows up to kill oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, actually, Rosa. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the new movie is actually a continuation years after. Uh, Nikki, uh, Nia DaCosta, uh, it's been, she's directing it. It's been pushed so many times because of COVID. It's supposed to come out in August this year. But, yeah, it's supposed to be a continuation, you know, over, almost 30 years after. Okay, let's keep taking calls on this. Colin in North Van. Hey, Colin. 
Hi, uh, uh, this one's going way back. I was around eight years old at the Odeon Theater in West Vancouver, and it was the seventh voyage of Sinbad. This is about oh. 1958 with the special effects with Ray uh, Howerhausen, Harryhausen, rather. Mm-hmm. It had the genie in the bottle. It had the one-eyed cyclops, the giant rock that carried the sailors off to feed his kid, to keep the, the things in his nest, the dragon, the, the genie in the bottle, everything to, to make a kid want to bite his lip, and he did, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, he was uh, it was a great movie he also came out with Jason and the Argonauts armies yeah. of skeletons to fight it was it was dynamite back then yeah I remember that one I used to really love those movies when yeah, I kid actually the funny thing is and I'll let you go in a sec I got yeah. my old VHS mo- uh, machine fixed and I have a copy of it and I watched that about a month ago and it's, it's still you know, it, it's, it's phony as heck but it is it is great just in its, in its phoniness but it's a dynamite old movie anyway Colin, I'll let you go Colin and thanks a lot for the call. That was the one where they used to use that kind of stop motion animation, wasn't mm-hmm. it, Steve? Yeah, I, and, he, and Harryhausen was such a pioneer of that. Uh, I mean, uh, my first experience with him wasn't that far back, but it would have been uh, not Sinbad, but uh, Clash of the Titans with Harry Hamlin uh, in the early 80s. And it was always something really un- unsettling about the stutteriness of that animation style, which I think just adds to the atmosphere yeah. of these creatures. Uh, and it's still stuff that, that, that people replicate today and people reference today uh, as being their inspiration. For sure. I enjoyed those movies when I was a kid. Let's go to Alex and Ladner. Hey, Alex. Hi there. Hi. Um, the two movies that still scare me in my 50s, can't watch them alone, is the original Changeling with George C. Scott mm-hmm. and Black Christmas. Wow. It is horrifying. Okay, well, how old were you? Were you, were you a really little kid when you saw these the first time? Okay, she she's too scared to talk about it. Probably. <laughs> where, where where do those ones Where do those ones rank for you, Steve? Oh, those are uh, two very uh, top movies, in my opinion. I mean, Black Christmas is one I bring up at Christmas time every year. Anytime yeah. someone's like, what's your favorite Christmas movies? Black Christmas is up there. And it's really great that she brought both of those movies up together because they're both Canadian films. I mean, Changeling wow. was filmed in Vancouver and the surrounding areas. So, I mean, these are, are very Canadiana horror films. And, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite George C. Scott movies by far, followed shortly by... Uh, uh, Exorcist 3 and uh, Dr. Strangelove. Let's go to Brent in Vancouver. Hey, Brent. Hey. Hey. How's it go going? Ahead. Good. What do you think? Uh, so when I was probably about seven, uh, myself and my brother were being babysat. Parents went out for dinner, and they, uh, the babysitter asked us if we wanted to watch The Exorcist. <laughs> and I, I thought it was an aerobic show <laughs> so I'm like yeah I don't really want to watch an aerobic show but hey I'll watch it and uh, so we watched it by the time my parents got home me and my brother were sitting there pale as a ghost <laughs> so scared I, I was scared of that movie my my brother's buddies used to bug me when we uh, go to the video store and tell me they were going to rent it again and I was scared of that show until I watched it again oh and, like, man Years later, when I was like 12 or 13, I was finally it, watched the thing again. Was it just as scary the second time? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I grew up Catholic, and, you know, so yeah, that's right. sort of a, based on a true story. <laughs> right. And, and did, you tell, tell did you tell your parents Did you tell your parents that the babysitter showed you that movie? Oh, yeah. No, they freaked right out. We never had that babysitter ever okay. again. And my mom was <laughs> just unclued. Okay, Brent, thanks. Thanks for sharing that one. Let's go to John in Nanaimo. Hey, John. 
Hey, uh, not me personally, uh, but you, every all your callers have been talking about adult movies. My 20-year-old nephew a couple summers ago revealed The Brave Little Toaster, an oh. animated movie mm-hmm. where the appliances kill themselves. <laughs> I'm still haunted by it. Okay. I had that book when I was a kid. I remember that. I didn't know there was, mm-hmm. a, there was a movie version of it. That's interesting. Uh, thank you for that, John. Lots more calls. Let's see if we can squeeze a couple more in here. Gord in Vancouver. Hey, Gord. Hello. All right, go ahead. Uh, the one that uh, scared the bejabers out of me was uh, Straight Jacket, 1964. I was 12 years old. It was in the Capitol Theater in Moostra. I was there with a friend of mine. And as you may know, it was uh, one of those William Castle things, so there were gimmicks. So um, the storyline went that uh, Joan Crawford, Lucy Harbin, uh, was in a mental institution for killing her husband and his uh, girlfriend Ooh. with an axe. So uh, when she got out, strangely enough, axe murders started to happen. Oh, no. <laughs> so uh, lots of suspense. And get this, uh, right at one of the high points of suspense in the film, uh, I was just practically white-knuckling the arm, arm of the seat. And this guy comes down the aisle. Uh, they had worked out a sport coat so he looked like he had no head it had his head under his one arm and an axe what? over the other and all this gore running oh. all down him i just about hit the ceiling oh man and like so, people were dressing up to come to this movie well that's it that was uh castle's thing you probably heard of the tingler where they actually mm-hmm. had some theater seats uh wired so oh, when right. this this incredibly cheesy little monster it looked like a, a a centipede on steroids. Uh, they would when the finger came along, then they would give people a joy. Okay, well that actually sounds like kind of like it would be a lot of fun. Maybe they should they should bring that back. Thank you for sharing that, Gord. Steve, I knew we'd have a lot of fun with this one. Thanks a yeah. lot for coming on today. Of course, anytime.